It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Friday, February 14th, 2020. On this day in 1929, seven members of Bugs Moran's Northside Gang were gunned down in Chicago, Illinois. Later called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, it would prove to be the deadliest mobland shootout in American history. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the St. Valentine's Day Massacre and its lasting cultural fallout. Let's go back to the SMC Cartage Garage near Chicago's Lincoln Park on February 14, 1929, around 10.30 in the morning. Albert Weinshank walked down the sidewalk, his collar high and his breath fogging in the frigid winter air. He moved quickly. The meeting time was fast approaching and he was determined to be punctual. Weinshank approached the front door of the SMC Cartage Garage and stepped inside. He didn't notice three men watching him from a second floor apartment across the street. When they saw Albert enter, the men picked up the phone and made a quick call. Meanwhile, Weinshank joined six others inside the garage. Four were fellow members of the Northside gang. Adam Heyer, the bookkeeper, stood talking to Albert Kashalek, the boss's right-hand man. Frank and Pete Gusenberg, brothers and cold-blooded hitmen, waited for the boss, Bugs Moran, to arrive. A fifth man, Reinhard H. Schwimmer, was also present. He was an optician who enjoyed the company of hoodlums, but his strange taste in bedfellows would come to bite him in the end. The last man present was John May, a young mechanic who sometimes worked on mob vehicles, It was clear to the others that young May hadn't realized there would be a meeting at that garage on that day. He had even brought his dog to keep him company, thinking he'd be working alone. The men began chatting as they waited for bugs. Then May's dog began to bark. A knock echoed from the garage's back door. Frank Gusenberg went to the door and opened it, expecting his boss, but instead, he found two police officers with their guns drawn. Frank threw his hands up and the officers ordered him inside. As they moved towards the interior of the garage, the cops barked louder than the dog. The mobsters jumped at the sound, reaching for their weapons, but then hesitated when they saw the uniforms. One of the cops demanded, put your hands where I can see them. 
The gangsters obliged. Better not to shoot, they thought. It was just another routine shakedown. Nothing to worry about. When the officers ordered the seven men to line up, hands against the wall, again, they obeyed. Most of them had been through a pat-down before. They waited for the officers to frisk them, but instead they heard one walk away. Then they heard the front door open. The cops had brought in reinforcements, only these men weren't cops at all. They were assassins. As the five mobsters, the optician, and the mechanic faced the wall, the gunmen aimed their Thompson submachine guns at their backs and pulled the triggers. Bullets and blood flew in every direction. Once the guns clicked empty, the imposters left with seven bodies in their wake. Coming up, the killers make a bloody mark on history. Now back to the story. On February 14, 1929, seven men were gunned down in Chicago in one of the most vicious acts of violence the city had ever seen. It was the culmination of a decade-long war between the predominantly Irish Northside Gang, led by Bugs Moran, and the Italian Chicago outfit, led by Al Capone. But few knew the specifics at the time. Instead, many simply heard that mobsters had been killed. This wouldn't have been a particularly newsworthy event were it not for the sheer number of bodies left behind in the massacre. As word spread about the shooting, reporters scrambled to tell the story, some printing off sheets later that same day. Some newspapers even fabricated entire accounts of the crime just to fill their pages. Misinformation spread as quickly as genuine news, but what most caught on was the name one paper gave the killing, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Seven men gunned down in a single shooting was unheard of in America at the time. While the public had accepted mob violence in their city for years, the massacre was a step too far. Horrified and indignant, the people of Chicago demanded that their politicians finally put an end to the bootleggers and their brutal ways. Of course, most of the politicians and police were in the bootleggers' pockets. They would do all they could to catch the animals specifically responsible for the massacre, but they very publicly stated they could do nothing about the mobsters by and large. In fact, the politicians claimed the only way to end mob violence was to end prohibition. Chicago's police commissioner, William F. Russell, even said, Prohibition is the root of these gang killings, and despite the most vigorous efforts to stop them, they probably will continue as long as the Volstead Act is a law. Take away the incentive by legalizing the sale of wholesome beer, and you eliminate the bootlegger. While this claim may have been true, the politicians didn't realize that the massacre itself had already brought an end to the beer wars. 
At the time, investigators had no clue who was responsible for the slayings, but it was eventually discovered that the assassinations were probably planned by Al Capone himself. It seemed Capone had really only intended to execute Bugs Moran on the 14th, but the hitmen he hired didn't know what Bugs looked like. Capone had also sent a lookout, but he mistook one of Bugs's men for the boss and sent in the hit squad before Bugs had arrived at the garage. The gunmen believed Bugs was one of the seven men present, but still didn't know which one he was. So, to be safe, they killed every man they saw and hoped they got their man. With five of his top men killed, Bugs Moran was forced to go into hiding. Over the next few weeks, he attempted to rebuild and command his North Side gang, but with the leadership eliminated, the low-level thugs didn't feel Bugs was worth the risk. The North Side gang was effectively eliminated. Al Capone's Chicago outfit was left victorious, but his violent master plan ultimately backfired. Prohibition was already unpopular with much of the nation, but the Valentine's Day Massacre finally tipped the scales. A public groundswell of support boomed to have the Volstead Act repealed. These efforts eventually succeeded four years later, when Prohibition was repealed in 1933. In his effort to consolidate power and maximize profit, Capone unintentionally eliminated the income source he had hoped to capitalize on. In massacring his competition, he massacred his future as well. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more information on the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, check out our Unsolved Murders and Kingpins crossover special that takes a deeper dive into the killings. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at Parcast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Giles Hovseth, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 